We are in the midst of a series called Welcome, Opening Our Lives to God and Others. And I'm going to be referring to some of the previous messages, sermons in this series. And if you missed more than one or just one, you're going to want to check that out on our website or on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. But the gist of the series is this. Our God is by nature relational. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit is always relating to himself in what some refer to as the divine dance. Isn't that a picture? The divine dance. And our relational God has made human beings in his image also to be relational. We are made for relationship, for connection with God, for connection with other people. However, those connections are opposed by everything from God's adversary, Satan, to our own sinful nature, to the press of our fallen society and culture. And instead of connection, sometimes what we end up with is compartments, labels, stereotypes, and a myriad of other things that sort of keep us at arm's length from one another. So how do we make the shift from compartments to connection, the connection that we're made for? Today we're going to look at a couple of tools that God uses to help us shift from compartments to connections. And our text for this morning is from Acts chapter 10 and the first part of chapter 11. It's a story involving the apostle Peter and some others. And you can find this scripture if you use the free app called YouVersion. You just click on events and it'll take you there. If you would like a paper Bible, we're happy to gift you one at the Welcome Center. But on the big Bible timeline of what's happening cover to cover, we are in the New Testament this morning in the era that we refer to as the church. So this is after Jesus has lived on earth, he's died, he's uh, risen again, and he has ascended into heaven. So here we go, Acts chapter 10. And we're beginning in verse 1. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. Now you need to know the context in which Cornelius is making this invitation to Peter. At this point in history... Almost all of the followers of Jesus were Jewish. There were some Samaritans who had responded. There was the Ethiopian eunuch who had responded. But most of the followers of Jesus were Jewish. The promise of the Messiah had been given to the Jews. Jesus was Jewish. All the apostles were Jewish. The focus of the mission was largely to Jewish people. And there was this general understanding That if you were not Jewish and you wanted to follow Jesus, first you needed to become Jewish by circumcision and following some other Jewish laws, and then you could become a Christian, a follower of Jesus. But Cornelius was not Jewish. 
He was not a Samaritan or an Ethiopian for that matter. He was a fully Gentile Roman, a centurion in the occupying force there in Israel. So you might say he was an enemy of Israel. That was his compartment. And while the scripture says he was devout and God-fearing, that means he believed in one God and he had a general respect for Jewish law. It says he prayed regularly, he gave generously. It even says he was respected by the Jewish people, but he was respected from afar. It was against Jewish law for a Jew to associate or visit with a Gentile. That's Cornelius in Caesarea. Meanwhile, in Joppa, we have the apostle Peter. He's a Jewish believer in Jesus. He falls into a trance and he sees heaven open and a sheet come down filled with animals that are considered both clean and unclean by Jewish law. And he hears a voice telling him, kill and eat. This happens three times and then the Holy Spirit says to Peter, three men are looking for you, go with them. And Peter goes with the guys that Cornelius sent to the house of Cornelius in Caesarea. And we're going to hit pause right there. But be advised, people are, start, are going to start connecting with God in this story and with each other in some really profound ways. To shift from compartments to connection, share settings. To shift from compartments to connection, Share settings. Settings are the places where we live and work and play. Share settings. So far, here are the different settings that we have in this text. Peter is from Bethsaida, but he's staying with Simon the tanner who lives in Joppa. To say that Simon was a tanner means that he prepared the skin of animals, and that was work that was considered unclean in Jewish culture. So the fact that Peter is overlooking that and staying with Simon the Tanner anyway is significant. It's telling us that Peter is open to uh, looking past some of these customs. And when these three men show up from Cornelius' house, Peter tells them, sure, you can stay here, even though it's not his house. Do you have friends like that? (laughs) Who come over and then invite their friends over and the next thing you know, they're staying overnight. That's what happened here. And this step that Peter makes is significant. Remember, it's against Jewish law to associate with Gentiles. These men are most certainly Gentiles. That's their compartment. Now they're overnight guests and they stay for a night. That's a significant move towards connection. Peter does go to Cornelius' house in Caesarea. He takes with him six of his friends, Jewish Christian men, And the total of seven guys stays with Cornelius for a few days, it says in verse 48. That is also a significant movement from compartment to connection. And what drove Peter's decision to invite these guys into Simon's house? And what drove Peter's decision to make that walk to Caesarea and stay at Cornelius' house? It wasn't convenience driving the decision. I'm sure that Peter had other plans, as did the other people in the story, before these dreams and trances started to happen. 
Plus, it was a 39-mile walk from Joppa to Caesarea. It wasn't comfort that was driving the decision. As I said, they're breaking customs. They're breaking laws. They're entering unknown cross-cultural situations. And they're going to take some criticism for associating with Cornelius. What drove Peter's decision was simply this. God directed him and he obeyed. That's it. As God is on mission to shift us from compartments to connection, sometimes he's going to direct us to share settings with certain people. He's going to direct us to go into other places where people live, work, and play. He's going to direct us to invite certain people into the places where we live, work, and play. And it might not be convenient. And it might not be comfortable. But when we said yes to Jesus, we died to our old way of decision making. We died to that old life. And that old way of thinking, we, that was buried. <laughs> and we arise again in new life in Jesus with new ways of decision-making and new ways of operating. And the new way goes like this. I ask Jesus, I listen for his direction, and I obey. Sharing settings, being in each other's settings goes such a long way when it comes to connection. Whether that's with people who haven't yet said yes to Jesus or that that's sharing settings with people who've already said yes to Jesus. When I'm in your home where you live, I get a little window into what your daily life is like and what's important to you and how you spend your time. And hopefully when we're in your home, you're comfortable. It's familiar to you. You're the expert in your home, not me. Sometimes when I get to see people in their work settings, I see a whole other side of them. My sister teaches high school German, and I have loved the opportunities that I've had to be with her when she's with her students. So I get to see how she interacts with her students. I've known my sister my whole life. But being with her in those settings has added a whole other richness to our connection. And I know that not all homes are equally conducive to having people over. And I know that not all jobs are equally conducive to having people with you in those settings. But look, when I take you to a restaurant that I love, or we go do something that you love to do, our connection becomes much more rich and much more complete. Sharing settings makes us shift from compartment to more connection. Now, if you're thinking, I don't want to invite people into my setting <laughs> for lots of reasons, but partly because I'm not sure what they're going to think of my setting. I want to refer you back to the very first message in this series that Pastor Mark preached about this concept that the most secure people are the most welcoming people. If you said yes to Jesus, you're secure in Jesus. It's really not that important what other people think. And you're in a place where you can be open. Maybe you're thinking, um, this is so overwhelming. I can't go into all these settings. I can't have all these people over. I got stuff to do. 
I wanna refer you back to the second message in this series when Pastor Mark preached about the one, just the one. I know you can't go everywhere. I can't go everywhere either. I can't have everybody over either. But who's the one? Who's the one God's directing me to right now? Maybe you're thinking, what if other people's settings have a bad influence on me or they bring a bad influence into my settings? Then I'm gonna refer you to the third message in this series about this idea that different levels of connection are appropriate with different people. There may be need to be some parameters about sharing settings, but it all comes down to this, to listening to God and to obeying God. How is he directing us? And how is he directing us in this area of connection? Because he's all about connection. And he's made us to be all about connection. Well, Peter arrives at Cornelius's house. And as he is talking with Cornelius, he is beginning to understand that what he saw on that sheet with the animals was really not about animals. It was about the compartments of Jew and Gentile. And then Cornelius shares his story. Cornelius shares his story of this trance that he had and what that was like and what he did. And Peter says in chapter 10, verse 34, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts those from every nation who fear him and do what is right. And then Peter shares his own story of Jesus. He starts way back in history, but eventually he gets to his own firsthand experiences with Jesus. Acts 10.39, we're witnesses of everything Jesus did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then Peter concludes with this in verse 43, everyone who believes in Jesus receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And apparently, all of those in Cornelius' household did believe in Jesus because the Holy Spirit came on all of them. And two of the ways that Peter and his guys knew that that's what was happening, that the Holy Spirit was being poured out on these Gentiles was that they began to speak in tongues and they began to praise the Lord. And so right then and there, with no regard to first converting them to Judaism, making sure they were circumcised and following laws, with no regard for any of that, Peter says they should be baptized. And they were. And that's where it says Peter and his guys stayed there for a few days. And we have a major shift from compartments to connection over the course of sharing settings and sharing stories. But the sharing of stories isn't over. Peter took some criticism from some other Jewish Christians for going to Cornelius' house and eating with his household. And so in Acts 11.4, it says, starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. So Peter tells the critics all about Cornelius' vision, what transpired there and Peter's trance and what transpired there and the trip to Caesarea and then the Holy Spirit being poured out and, and what he witnessed. And then I love these verses in uh, verses 16 to 17 because like if you're tuned out listening, uh, thinking about lunch right now, I just need you to tune back in for a few seconds because this is really important. I love this part. This is not a case of, well, I had this experience 
And so now we're gonna throw out all the customs and laws or this is the story, so forget everything else. That's not what happened here. What happened was Peter is interpreting this experience through the words of Jesus, which we now have as scripture. Look at this. He says, then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave to us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? And when he's done telling the story and interpreting it through the framework of scripture, here's what happens. Here's how the Jewish Christians who had been criticizing him responded. When they heard this, they had no further objections and they praised God saying, so then even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And now these former critics are also shifting from compartments to connection because Peter shared settings and stories. Share stories. How's God directing us to share stories, to ask people about their story and to share some of our own story? Our story of coming to know Jesus, but other parts of our story as well. Now you might have some of the same objections to sharing stories as you would have to sharing settings. So you might think, I don't wanna share my story. What if people don't like my story? But the most secure people are the most what? Most welcoming people, yeah. What if you're thinking, I don't have time to share stories, are you kidding me? I got stuff to do. <laughs> well, what about the one? Is there one? And if, if we're running so fast and we're so overextended that we don't have time for connection, even with the one, then we probably need to back up and make sure we're not overextended because we put some things on our plate that God never meant to put on our plate because he's all about connection. And I'm not sure he'd have us running so fast and so hard that we couldn't connect with the one. What if sharing of stories isn't safe? Well, here's a little insight. I have several versions of my story. I have several versions of my story and they're all true but they're not all at the same level of transparency, right? Because that takes a little trust building and there may need to be some parameters, okay? But it all boils down to this. What is God directing us to do? What is God directing us to do? He's all about connection. He's made us for connection. I'm pretty sure he's got some directions for us about how to enlarge that connection. Sharing settings and stories will mess up your compartments. And in some ways, we like compartments because they're quick and easy, and we do a quick sort of people. We sort them into compartments like good and bad, right and wrong, liberal conservative, hero villain, type A, type B, etc., etc. Hearing stories, however, opens up a can of worms that is paradox and tension and nuance. And it can be disorienting and it can be uncomfortable. It can also be marvelously life-changing for the better. 
There was a season in my life when I held to an interpretation of scripture that resulted in a very restricted view of the roles of women in home and in church. And in that season of my life, I was working at a doctor's office uh, with a nurse named Corona, who was also pastoring a free Methodist church. And even though Corona was one of the most gracious, humble, patient people that I knew, because she had this view about women, I had compartmentalized her as out of line. Out of line! And one day I confronted her about this. By the way, I look back on this scene in my life, shake my head at myself. I confronted Corona about this. And instead of arguing me point for point, what she did was tell me what was happening in her church. She said, Jen, let me tell you what is happening in my church. And she described very calmly and non-defensively, basically like revival was happening in this church, like spiritual breakthrough was happening in this church. And people were placing their faith in Jesus and addictions were being broken and marriages were being restored. And she said to me very calmly, again, non-defensively, she just looked at me and she said, so what do we do with that? And I felt like somebody just yanked the rug out from under me. And my compartments got rattled. It was extremely uncomfortable. And it drove me back to the scriptures. And between that experience and some other experiences and some other studies, I I went on this like multiple year journey of re-examining the scriptures with not the help of just one set of scholars and references, but with the help of several different sets of scholars and references. And today, I'm preaching a sermon (laughs) to an adult co-ed audience, which is something that I probably would not have done back when I was having that conversation with Corona. By the way, I have since gone back and apologized to Corona. Sharing settings and stories may mess you up in some ways. If you share settings and stories with someone with the opposite political view, or you share settings and stories with someone who is from a generation or a part of the world or a socioeconomic situation that you just disdain, or if you share settings and stories with someone who just plain gets on your nerves, you may find out that you like that person. (laughs) You may realize that you actually respect some of their thinking and some of their decisions. And you may begin to at at least partially understand where they're coming from. And none of us are going to agree with another person 100% on absolutely everything. But if you share settings and stories, it will be a lot harder to write people off or just label them. And it'll be harder for them to write you off and just label you. What I'm saying is sometimes the road from compartments to connections is messy. Sometimes it's messy, but we're made for connection. 
We're made for connection. How is God directing us when it comes to direction? The fact that you and I are here this morning in this room worshiping Jesus is the punchline of the story in Acts 10 and 11. The fact that you and I are here today worshiping Jesus is the product of the story that unfolds in Acts 10 and 11 because I am guessing that most or maybe even all of us in this room are Gentiles. And here we are, included in the church, worshiping Jesus, lifting him up, connected with God because of what Jesus has done, connected with each other, and connected with our Jewish brothers and sisters who've said yes to Jesus. Here we are. We're here in part because God used Peter's obedience to share settings and share stories and recognize what the Holy Spirit is doing and be willing to understand that and interpret that in light of scripture. We are here (laughs) because of that. Brothers and sisters, we're made for connection. We're made for connection. How is God directing us in this whole area of connection? Let's pray over that question right now. Jesus, you are worthy. You made the ultimate sacrifice so that we could be connected to God. And in the work you did on the cross, you brought down dividing walls of hostility among people. May the words that we sing now be true, that you are worthy and we live for you. May we daily die to our own ways of decision making. Die to our old ways of operating and daily arise to new ways of life in you. And may we really, honestly, sincerely seek your direction and wait for it. Your direction in how you'd have us open our lives to one another, shift from compartments to connection and share settings and stories. May you be glorified as what you lived and died for comes to pass, comes to be more and more a reality in our lives and in this church. We pray these things in your name. Amen.